2: and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is proudly brought to you by Best Fiends and Euphoric. I'll be back after our first story tonight to share a bit more information about Best Fiends with you, and after our second to tell you more about Euphoric, including a special offer they have for those of you listening in this evening. Until then, settle in, get cozy... And prepare to be unsettled. The show is about to begin.
3: (laughs) It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Darkness.
2: Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of three rounds of frightening fiction all about All Hallows, horrors, wintry wrath, and monstrous memories. I'm Otis Jiry, host of the Scary Stories Told in the Dark podcast, now in its fourth season and available on iTunes and wherever podcasts can be found, filling in for my friend Steve Taylor. Tonight, I'll be your host as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your wildest imaginations. Joining us tonight to help bring our frightening fiction to life are voice talents Jordan Lester, Jason Hill, and Justine Anastasia. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. (laughs) Our first tale tonight from an author who prefers to be known simply as Girl from the Crypt is voiced by actress Jordan Lester. In it, a mother learns the hard way that not all boys will be boys. Sometimes they can be much, much worse. Without further ado, I present to you, my son did something terrible on Halloween.
4: I have a confession to make. I have been trying so hard to forget what I saw. But now that Halloween is right around the corner again, all these memories resurfaced all of a sudden. I now know it was wrong to keep my mouth shut. But before I tell my husband about it, and later on the authorities... I want to get it off my chest anonymously. Maybe this will help me confessing to my loved ones. My son, I'll call him Al for the sake of this story, is crazy about Halloween. Each year he dresses up as a zombie. Al loves zombies. Last year he begged and pleaded with me to let him go trick-or-treating with his friends. I used to always come along, but that year he wanted to go without adult supervision... Just him and his buddies. He was ten years old at the time, and pretty mature already. I was reluctant at first, but after thinking it over for a while, I approved. We live in a friendly, rural neighborhood bordering on large cornfields. Everyone knows everyone. I figured that they would be fine. The kid needed his freedom, after all. Plus, his friend Amy would come along as well. She was twelve years old already, and always reminded her younger friends to behave. However, one last glimpse of uncertainty within me caused me to decide that I would sneakily follow them to keep an eye on Al from a distance without bothering him, just to be absolutely safe. I did as planned, and on Hallow's Eve, I let my son put on his costume and painted him some spooky zombie makeup, complete with sprinkles of fake blood on his ripped clothing and smears of it around his mouth. He took a look in the mirror and let out a squeal of delight. He hugged me, grabbed his little bag, and rushed outside. I waited a bit before going outside myself. His father wasn't home that night, so I left a bowl of candy on the front porch in hopes of it not being raided immediately. Upon walking out the door, I saw Al run towards a small group of other kids in fancy costumes. I recognized them all. There was Amy in her witch costume, our neighbor's son Mark was a vampire, and there was a ghost whom I could only assume was Al's best friend Blake. I smiled at the sweet sight. It was always the four of them. I followed them at a safe distance, trying not to catch their attention. I watched as they rang at the doors of several houses on their harvest, growing more and more cheerful the more candy they received. It was obvious that Amy wasn't too fond of Al's costume, though. From time to time, my son would scare her by jumping out in front of her all of a sudden, or making creepy sounds. Amy would shriek loudly every single time before bursting out into laughter. At some point along the way, they began developing Al's zombie scares into a full-on game of catch my son merrily chasing around the others who, happily giggling, tried to avoid him. It was adorable to watch them play. I knew they weren't little anymore, but it still warmed my heart. They had reached the end of the main road and were still playing catch. They were enjoying themselves, and I was content, until Amy suddenly ran off into the cornfield to the side of the road. Al, Mark, and Blake followed her, howling like little monsters along the way. I was taken aback. The cornfields were large, and children, or rather, residents of our neighborhood in general, were forbidden from entering it. Not because they would trample the corn, but because people had gotten lost in there before. I couldn't help but instantly get worried. I hurried to run after them, but seeing as I was in pretty bad shape, it took me a while to find them. When I finally caught up with them, I found that they had gathered by the side of the road. Amy was still chuckling, but completely out of breath. "'Give me a second, you guys!' (laughs) She panted. "Oh come on!' Blake argued from under his white cloak. "'Playing zombie is so much fun!' Al cheered. In the heat of the game, he had completely given up on his usual calm demeanor and was losing himself in a fit of giggles. "'Can we keep playing zombie, please?' "'Yeah, just... just give me a second, guys,' Amy repeated. She was still bent over and trying to catch her breath. Suddenly, the three boys stuck their heads together and began murmuring something amongst themselves, out of earshot from Amy.' "'What? What are you talking about?' the young girl asked. "'We're playing zombie for real this time,' my son exclaimed. I frowned in confusion, but stayed where I was. I watched as Blake and Mark strode towards Amy and grabbed her by the arms. "'It's okay, they're just trying to scare her again,' I told myself. But that notion was quickly knocked out of me when Al suddenly picked up a large stone from the dusty ground, his skinny arms struggling to lift the heavy thing. Slowly... At a pace, almost menacing, he made his way over to Amy. I wanted to intervene. I wanted to dash out of my hiding spot and stop him, tear that rock out of his hands. I wanted to scream, but I couldn't. I was paralyzed. Tears began welling up in my eyes and running down my cheeks as my mouth dropped open, trying to form sounds to somehow produce the shriek I was hoping for, but to no avail. I tried to move, I tried so hard, but I just couldn't, my body didn't obey me. I watched in horror as my son lifted the rock above his head and brought it down on the screaming, struggling girl's head. He did it again, then again, then again. My son, my child, my flesh, and blood bashed his friend's skull in. Blood was gushing everywhere. Onto my son's hands, his face, his costume. Al let go of the stone and and knelt down and fumbled around in the remains of Amy's head. I felt the vomit rise in my throat when I realized what he was doing. I remained paralyzed with fear, terror, and disgust as my son carefully picked at the bloodied, gory mess and slowly led bits of Amy's brains to his mouth. One by one, they vanished in between his lips like trick-or-treat candy. I didn't stay to watch Mark and Blake join him. When I finally regained control over my body, I simply turned and ran. I ran all the way back home, tears of shock still gushing out of my eyes. I barely made it into the bathroom before I started vomiting. When Al came home later that evening, I didn't come out to greet him. I wouldn't have dared to look into his eyes. I wouldn't have been able to. I haven't been able to look at him the same way ever since... I don't know why he did such a thing. Was it my fault? Where did I go wrong? How did my sweet little boy turn into a monster? I've pretended that everything was fine for almost a whole year now. Every time I would run into Mark's or Blake's parents on the way around town, every time I would pick up my son from school, I pretended... I never saw what I saw. They found Amy's corpse the day after Halloween. The police never found out who had done it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be writing this right now. No suspects were ever arrested either. When they questioned my son, he lied through his teeth. Amy's parents moved away not long after. They couldn't stand being in that home in which they had made so many memories with their daughter. I know. I should have told the police. And I hate myself for being too weak to do the right thing. I was scared. Scared of my own son, but at the same time scared of losing him too. I hate myself for not helping Amy. I don't know why I was unable to move, but had I been able to, if I could trade my life for hers, she would be standing here right now. I wish Halloween 2018 had never happened. It has left my son, a killer. A sweet young girl dead. And me, a guilt-stricken shell of my former self. I'm not stupid. I know that withholding information from the police in a case of child murder has severe legal consequences. I deserve everything that's coming to me. But so does he. I guess I thought telling the truth wouldn't make a difference. It wouldn't bring Amy back to life. But by now I know that those were just the cowardly, foolish thoughts of a cowardly and foolish woman. I know it's way too late. But for once, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to use the blood-stained costume as evidence. I never disposed of it. They're going to figure out which stains are Amy's and which are fake blood, all right? I'm going to name Mark and Blake too. No more Halloween. No more playing zombie.
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
2: I hope you enjoyed My Son Did Something Terrible on Halloween, as written by Girl from the Crypt and performed by Jordan Lester. Up next, we've got another tale for you, this one, a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights original written just for us by author William Dolphin. ...about a gentleman tasked with traveling to get his son out of jail on a cold winter's night. Unfortunately for him, he's about to be detoured. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's first sponsor, Best Fiends. Now, as everyone knows by now, as host of this program, horror fiction is one of my personal passions. But even I need the occasional break... So, when I feel like I need a mental palate cleanser, my go-to refresher is Best Fiends, one of the world's most visually stunning mobile puzzle adventure games. And this award-winning game is 100% free to download now in your app store of choice. Now, there's a good chance that you've probably already heard of Best Fiend. And if you're not already playing, there's a good chance that someone you know is... With 100 million, that's right, I say million, global downloads and counting, a five-star average review on both Apple and Google App Stores, and 1.7 million people playing on average every day, there's a better-than-average chance you'll love it, too. Whether you're a regular gamer or a casual player looking for something to help wind down your off-hours... I guarantee you'll find something to love about Best Fiends, and that it's addictive. Challenging puzzles will keep you entertained for a long time to come. If you're listening to this program, then we know you love a good story, and I'm thrilled to say that Best Fiends is more than just a game. It's an entire world with its own backstory, characters, and plot just waiting to be explored and experienced. In this award-winning game, you'll discover the world of Minutia and its courageous inhabitants. And as their story goes, these small creatures live in harmony until a night the meteor struck Mount Boom, bringing with it a strange force that transformed the slugs who lived there into an army of greedy, greenery-gobbling pests. Now, with the slugs taking over the world, munching a path through Minutia, sliming up everything they touch it's up to a brave band of heroes to fight back and save their world left alone when the slugs conquered most of minutia these unlikely champions are on an epic quest to solve the mystery of Mount Boom and be back the slug advance but to get to Mount Boom they'll need to become the best fiends it's a tale fit for this very program Even if the idea of battling mutated slugs seems a bit silly at first. It's a classic tale of good versus evil, with the underdogs putting everything on the line. And when you download the app and start playing, you're doing more than collecting characters, leveling them up and discovering their special powers. You're becoming a part of the story itself, and each of the over 2,000 levels in the game sucks you further into the action. The game was designed so that anyone can play, but it's intended for adults looking for a challenge and designed to engage your brain in ways that other apps don't. From the outset, it looks and feels just like your standard same colored object matching puzzle game, and the first few levels are relatively easy. But after you advance a bit, you'll learn just how immersive the world of Best Fiends really is, and how much there is left to achieve. With new limited-time special events and themes each and every month, online gameplay options, thousands of levels and new characters, each with their own personalities and attributes, added regularly, there's always something new to experience in the world of Minutia, and plenty of reasons to pick the game back up. That said, the game is so accommodating, it allows you to stop and come back any time without losing your progress, and you'll never be forced to compete directly against anyone else, but can always share your progress and achievements as a badge of honor and have some friendly fun with friends and family, seeing who can get the farthest the fastest. The team and I had a chance to talk with the folks behind Best Fiends and try the game out for ourselves, and it was every bit as challenging and as fun... As it was described, and it was easy to see why so many play and enjoy the game every day. Even with our busy lives, we were able to devote half an hour to 45 minutes to the game every day. And what a great way to blow off some steam after our long day in the studio. From the first few levels, working on clearing the board by removing logs and twigs blocking the way, it's downright therapeutic. And working to collect diamonds and go for the longest possible matches gives a real sense of achievement. It really is tough to put down once you start. That said, the game gets challenging pretty quickly... ...and it wasn't long before we found ourselves getting stuck at a specific stage. Personally, I spent ages at level 11... ...at which point my strategy was to replay older levels to collect more material and upgrade my collection of monsters, then reattempt the level later again. And just when you thought you had it all figured out, the game throws curveballs at you, with new gameplay elements added periodically as you advance. This isn't a bad thing, trust me. With a lot of practice and level replays before long, you'll create a nice team of fiends and be able to beat all the levels in this amazing game. Out of all the things that make this game incredible, the added replay value and the attention to detail is what keeps me and the team coming back. Like I said earlier, the developers of Best Fiends are always adding new characters, gameplay elements, levels, and events. It literally never gets old, and with the the easy-on-the-eyes, colorful designs and visual design, and the offline gameplay that makes it great for traveling, What's not to love? Sometimes, after a long day of recording and audio editing, paying bills, and dealing with customers, Best Fiends is exactly what I need to relax. And I'm confident it'll be a great way for you to wind down too, no matter what you do for a living. So what are you waiting for? Best Fiends is free to download now, engage your brain with fun puzzles, and collect tons of cute characters too. You can get this five-star rated mobile puzzle game on the Apple App Store and Google Play. Download it free on the Apple App Store and Google Play today. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Thanks so much for your time and for giving Best Fiends a try this month. Now that we've ensured you'll have hours of fun with the help of Best Fiends, Allow me to transport you from the brightly colored world of minutia into a much darker, colder realm. In our second tale tonight from author William Dolphin, as performed by Jason Hill, a father traveling in the winter to bail his good-for-nothing kid out of jail gets more than he bargains for when he stops along the way to offer roadside assistance to what appears to be a stranded driver. Without further ado, I present to you, Cold as Ice.
3: Jim Sterling was not having a good night. For reasons he couldn't begin to grasp, his life had become a nexus of misery. First, the snack machine down the hall from his office had eaten his last dollar... After pressing F four, he watched with hungry anticipation as the automated coil spun, slowly pushing the shiny bag of Doritos toward the glass, only to have it stop a millimeter short of tumbling down into the dispensary. Sterling had shaken that cruel beast with ferocity, trying to get the bag free of its taunting grasp, but the snack machine had remained defiant. And now here he was, trudging with increasing fatigue across a frozen lake in the middle of a winter storm sometime after midnight with a knife lodged between his shoulder and his spine. Jim Sterling really wished he'd gotten those Doritos. It was just after 10 p.m. when his cell phone had started playing the Imperial March. Sterling had set that to be the ringtone for his ex-wife Charlotte so that he'd always know when it was her calling. It filled him with dread to hear that song. "'Sterling let the phone play for a good while before answering. "'Jim, it's Charlotte,' she said calmly. "'Charlotte was always calm. "'Why shouldn't she be? Fifteen years ago, she got the house and the dog. "'Sterling got to keep the car and the TV. "'It was a nice TV, "'but it had fit better in their living room "'than in his rinky-dink apartment. "'Listen, it's about Thomas.' Charlotte informed him. He's in the drunk tank down in Lakota. Sterling sighed. This was not an uncommon occurrence. The divorce had been rough on Thomas. Always little Tommy in his father's eyes. He had grown up to become big Tommy. Big drunk Tommy. Big drunk loud brash Tommy. You need to go bail him out. Charlotte told him. Her voice sounded slightly muffled, probably puffing on a cigarette while sitting there in the kitchen of their house. Her house. In curlers and a bathrobe, watching a rerun of that reality show she always enjoyed. The one where everybody was always running around half-naked and getting into arguments. I'm at work, Jim replied. And I got no car. Fair enough. And so, the second miserable moment of the night concluded... Sterling estimated at least five more were waiting for him down at the Lakota police station. Jim Sterling drove to Lakota. Or rather, Jim Sterling started to drive to Lakota, but he never got there. Thinking back on it as he shambled across the ice with a quickly fading stride against an angry wind that licked the dry and cracking skin on his face, he came to a bitter conclusion. Jim Sterling was too goddamn nice. I'm going to die, he thought, here in the middle of this frozen fucking lake. I'm either going to collapse from exposure or bleed out thanks to this knife and get picked apart by coyotes. I should be in Lakota. Actually, I should be at the office, sipping a steaming cup of coffee and licking Dorito dust off my fingers. No. No, fuck that. I should be at home. "'watching whatever the hell is on Cinemax right now "'on that glorious goddamn TV, "'kicked back in my recliner "'and draining the last fifth of that vodka I have in the pantry. "'But he wasn't, "'because he was too goddamn nice. "'He had taken Norm Henderson's late shift on the phones "'because Norm had begged him, "'offering up the excuse that he wanted to drive his girlfriend "'with a weird Swedish name down to Sioux Falls "'to see a Led Zeppelin tribute band. "'Of course that wasn't true.' Norm was actually going with his other girlfriend with a weird tie name, but he didn't want people around the office to know he had a side piece. Sterling knew Norm's secret because he was observant. At least, he prided himself on being so. But it would seem from the knife and the lake and his imminent demise that maybe Sterling wasn't quite as observant as he thought he was. Take, for example, his footsteps... Sterling could hear each heavy crunch as his boots packed down the snow covering the icy lake. But as he trudged with desperation toward nowhere in particular, he realized he could hear another set of heavy footfalls following close behind with a confident stride. Jim Sterling was being hunted. What had he done to deserve this? Stopped to help another human being in need? What possible sin had Sterling committed in the eyes of this pursuer? When you're driving down an empty road in the middle of a cold, dark winter night and you spot a vehicle pulled over with its hazard lights on, and a person hunched over one of the tires, isn't it good form to pull over and offer some assistance? Isn't it the North Dakotan way? Even if the person working the lug nuts looks to be approximately 300 pounds of hulking muscle... Any good Samaritan would at least see if they need roadside assistance. That's exactly what Sterling had done when he saw the rusty old pickup truck, pulled over by a snow embankment, hitched up on a jack with a giant of a man in a heavy brown coat beside it. He pulled up behind the seemingly broken-down vehicle, hesitating for only a brief moment to think about little Tommy down at the drunk tank, and just how much of a delay it would put on him to help this individual... Sterling had felt the hair on the back of his neck prickle his collar when the man turned to look into his headlights. Something about the way he didn't blink or shield his eyes from the fluorescent beams, just stared, expressionless, straight at him, as if measuring Sterling up. He leaned out the window. I have a phone if you want me to call Triple A. Without a word, the man lumbered towards Sterling's car looking like a cross between a lumberjack and a grizzly bear. He seemed to be almost growing larger in stature with each step. Back in the deepest, darkest recesses of Sterling's brain, in the center for fight or flight, where his instinct for survival lived, a small voice cried out, ''Get out of there.'' A voice he hadn't heard since the day he made his vows to Charlotte at a little chapel in Las Vegas... Before he had a chance to react to it, the giant was at his door. The man had to hunch down to look inside the car, and in doing so, he filled the entire space of the window. His massive form seemed to be spilling into the car, great bushy beard first. Sterling slouched it down into his seat, stuttering, but unable to find the right words. His phone. His phone was in the cup holder. He just needed to hand it to the man. That's all. The man was just there for the phone. After all, Sterling had offered it. Okay, so maybe the guy looked like that shaggy giant from Harry Potter. Sterling turned away just long enough to find the phone. But within seconds of turning his back, he felt the white-hot pain of something sharp sliding into the meat between his shoulder blades. It happened so suddenly that he could barely comprehend why he heard it all. His first thought was not that he had just been stabbed, but that something in the way he shifted had thrown his back out. Ah, fuck! Sterling shouted, jerking away, fumbling further toward the passenger side of the car. Something sticking out of his back caught in the edge of the seat and sent more spasms of torture up his spine. He turned to look back at the man and saw one beefy hand drawing back through the window. Jesus Christ. Did he? Holy shit, he did. He stabbed me. That fucking gorilla just came over here and stabbed me through my window. Apparently, the man with the dead, expressionless eyes and hands so large they looked like they could palm Sterling's head and crush it like a cantaloupe wasn't satisfied just stabbing a stranger. He meant to go all the way. 150% grade A homicide was etched on his face. He'd either get his stabbing instrument back from Sterling and use it again, or maybe just squeeze his neck, until all the veins in his head burst like fireworks. So Sterling had run. It was not an elegant retreat, more like a trout trying to shimmy its way out of the cooler and back into the river. His right arm felt totally useless, and unfortunately, that was his favorite one. He barely managed to unbuckle himself at the left and ended up flopping his way across to the passenger side door, got it open, and tumbled out like a marionette. His assailant was not in a rush. If anything, he let Sterling go. Of course he did, Sterling thought. Where are you going to run to? There's nothing around for miles. But there was the lake. Devil's Lake, it was called. An apt name for the moment as Sterling began to question if maybe he'd just met the serpent himself. Across the lake, what looked like the lights of houses glowed in an almost welcoming fashion. If he could cross the ice, get to the homes, maybe someone could help. If only Sterling hadn't left his cell phone behind in the cup holder. That was ten minutes ago. Ten minutes of grueling agony burning in his back his right arm hanging limply by his side, his legs feeling like jelly, and the vicious night wind ripping at his flesh. How far had he walked now? The lights of the houses seemed no closer than they had when he started. Was he imagining them? Sterling took a breath and looked back over his shoulder, feeling his muscles scream against the pain. The man was right there, just nine or ten strides away a monstrous silhouette moving with unnatural swiftness against the brutal wind, Straight, straightened Sterling. It was going to overtake him in seconds. Jim Sterling was six foot one, and this brute must now be seven feet tall or more. He couldn't make out the man's face, just a wild frenzy of hair concealing his features. His limbs had grown thicker too, Sterling was sure of it. He now bore massive arms that strained against the brown coat, Even over the sound of the raging wind, Sterling could hear the seams of the man's clothing ripping as his body underwent some terrible metamorphosis right before his eyes. Jim Sterling was not above screaming. When he was little and his grandfather came to visit, the old man always tried to instill his antiquated values in little Jimmy. Every visit he educated him on how to act like a man, to never show fear or cry, to be brave against adversity... But when Grandad was gone, Sterling's mother and father raised him to be a human. He had wept at his father's funeral. And for little Tommy, when he realized how the boy had suffered through Jim and Charlotte's messy divorce. And he screamed now for the thing in the brown coat that charged at him with murderous intent. In the seconds before their bodies collided, the giant roared, not with the voice of a man, but with the deep, snarling, hungry roar of a beast and as the shadowy, muscular form plowed into Sterling's soft, yielding one, he did not look into the face of an angry, bearded trunker with some unexplained grievance, but that of a bear mixed with a mountain lion, some unnatural thing that was neither one nor the other, and with a mouth wide and full of teeth. The eyes, only the cold lifeless eyes remained the same. It was a testament to the bitter freeze of that evening that man and monster didn't break through the ice of Devil's Lake. Sterling felt the wind knocked out of his lungs as the once man barreled into him with the momentum of a train engine and then they both went down hard Sterling only having just enough sense to roll to his left to keep from landing on his back and plunging the knife straight out the other side of him. He braced to be crushed by the weight of the thing that was a man as it came down on top of him. But it went right, rolling over beside him, thrashing menacingly in the snow. Sterling didn't have time to think. He barely had time to move. The thing in the snow beside him had claws and fangs and would be on its feet in seconds, ready to finish what if it started when it thrust its knife into his back. The knife... Sterling was a pushover, but he wasn't a fool. He knew well enough that at the moment the knife was the only thing keeping the blood inside his body. But he also knew it was his only weapon against this unearthly creature that had chosen to feast on him. He reached his good arm around behind his back, trying to find a grip on the handle. His fingers slipped against the wet wood, just barely touching it. But the flare-up of pain it shot through his other side almost made him want to curl up and surrender right there. Beside him the beast rolled halfway over, snorting out a face full of powdery snow. It tensed up, further shredding the clothes it was wrapped in from its time as a man. Sterling slung his arm back behind his head, feeling his shoulder pop out of its socket with another excruciating shot of pain that summoned a need to scream deep in his gut before he bore down on it, holding it back for the moment lest he lose focus. The shoulder was an old injury from his days in the high school football team, but in that moment, it was a blessing, for the added flexibility it provided gave him just enough reach to wrap his hand around the knife's hilt and tear it free from his flesh. Then, and only then, did he give himself permission to scream. The man-beast was on its haunches, facing away for a second as it reoriented itself, The ice was slippery, and it seemed to take a lot of effort for the creature to not fall. It must have known that he had the potential to escape it if he got far enough out on the ice and put everything into catching him before that happened. Now it was at the mercy of its own footing. It swiveled around, bearing a massive, fang-laden maw that seemed almost to sneer as it moved toward him. Come here, you bastard! Sterling surprised himself with a sudden surge of confidence. The knife in his hand gave him a fighting chance, but the hot blood leaking down the back of his coat gave him a time limit. It was here and now, where he knew it was over. "'Come on! I'll send you back to whatever hell you crawled out of!' The beast got a foothold behind it, solid enough to pounce from, and it took it, lunging at Sterling with tooth and claw. He could see the heat of its breath on the air... The lifelessness in its eyes had been replaced with a frenzied bloodlust. Time seemed almost to freeze, as if the entire Earth had stopped spinning in that instant. And then Sterling lurched toward the Predator fist-first, and their bodies slammed together again with a cry. After every shitty thing that had happened to him that night, Jim Sterling had a single stroke of luck. He lay in the snow covering the frozen devil's lake his arm halfway inside the mouth of a monster the knife it had used on him in his car when it had the form of a man had driven up into the roof of its mouth and buried itself in the beast's brain he lay there with it twitching beside him feeling the hot gush of blood running down his arm not for a second considering that a single spasm one spark of its synapses and it could bite his arm off at the elbow. He lay there feeling drained, looking up at the partially cloudy night sky as more flakes of snow drifted down to cover him and his trophy. But it wasn't over yet. He may have slain the beast, whatever it was, but it may very well have taken him with it. Sterling was freezing to death, and he didn't have the energy to get up and continue on. Some part of him, the part that was prone to giving up and giving in, told him to just roll over and die. He was the victor. Now he could rest. But there was another part of him, one that had long been dormant and now reawakened by his fight to the death. It screamed at him. To fight. Jim Sterling had an idea. He'd seen it in a movie once but thought it could work. Hell... It beat lying out there, waiting to die of frostbite. He tightened his grip on the knife's handle and tugged, feeling the blade resist its new sheath in the monster's skull. Another yank, and it slid free with a sigh. Holding his breath, Sterling hovered over the prone form of the monster, noting its exceptional size. It had definitely grown in stature as it transformed from man into beast. Perfect. Sterling buried the knife in the creature's chest, then drew it out and stabbed it again and again. He saw it at it, slicing and ripping at the flesh. It yielded to the blade as easily as any of the box he had cleaned after hunting with his grandfather. It may have been monstrous in form, but it was still just another animal. At least Grandad taught me one thing useful, he thought as he slit the man-beast from neck to groin. The smell that wafted from its corpse almost made him gag, but he had to suffer through it if he wanted to survive the night. Jim Sterling. Father of little Tommy, a good Samaritan, with a bad stroke of luck, crawled inside the beast, feeling the squish of its insides as they shifted to make room. The heat of it enveloped him like a blanket, He figured it might not stay warm throughout the entire night, but it could be just enough. Maybe someone would drive by and see the two cars stopped and take a look and spot the massive form out on the lake. Maybe. Just maybe. Jim Sterling would live to see tomorrow. He closed his eyes and sighed. Back across the lake, a dozen headlights appeared, pulling up next to those of his car that he had left on... Unfortunately, Sterling was tucked in safe and warm and would never see them. Nor would he see the multitude of silhouettes passing in front of the headlights' glare. Nor would he hear the angry howls as they set across the ice.
2: I hope you enjoyed Cold as Ice as written by William Dolphin and performed by Jason Hill. Up next, we've got a third and final tale for you. A coming-of-age tale about a woman's childhood memories of time spent in an otherworldly realm. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's second sponsor, Euphoric. The innovative, patented, hemp-oil-infused chewing gum that the entire CBD industry is talking about. Now... I know most of you in our audience have heard a lot about CBD and health-related products lately. And of course, you've all tried your fair share of gum. Not to mention other health products in the market. With all sorts of benefits, whether it be to help reduce stress and anxiety, or to help improve your memory and energy. With all this in mind, I know you're probably asking, what makes euphoric so special? Well, let me tell you. Euphoric... Hemp oil infused chewing gum is not your average gum. In fact, it's an innovative patented delivery system. As a chewing gum, Euphoric brings innovation to the CBD market in that its patented delivery system is time released and all the action happens in the mouth. The gum's flavor and consistency make it possible to chew it longer. Chewing the hemp oil infused gum longer increases absorption in the mouth. In fact, Euphoric hemp oil-infused chewing gum has the best absorption rate on the market, 84%. Compared to edibles like gummies and tinctures, uh, even capsules, Euphoric's absorption rate is about 50% greater. And this is because edibles have to pass through the digestive tract, which breaks down the ingredients and drastically reduces their absorption rate. Euphoric health keeps the hemp oil-infused gum in the mouth longer, completely bypassing the digestive system. Plus, chewing in and of itself makes sense with a superior product like Euphoric in that chewing has its own health and wellness benefits. The simple act of chewing has scientifically been shown to improve brain health, including memory and cognitive function, as well as reduce anxiety. Euphoric combines these powerful chewing benefits with the heavily researched benefits of full-spectrum hemp oil, which is rich in naturally occurring phytocannabinoids, including CBD. Full-spectrum hemp oil is superior in that it offers many naturally occurring phytocannabinoids, including CBD, that work together synergistically. This is called the entourage effect, essentially meaning that a team of Phytocannabinoids work best together with anyone that's isolated. It's a party in your mouth, and that's why Euphoric is the best gum you'll ever chew. Not only is Euphoric legal in all 50 states, but it's gluten-free and non-GMO as well, and manufactured in a GMP-certified and FDA-registered facility. It's also rich in omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids, and supports dental health, by utilizing xylitol instead of unnecessary sugars. In fact, Euphoric was formulated by an international team of doctors and oral surgeons. Best of all, it tastes great and has a long-lasting mint flavor to rival any ordinary gum. My team and I got to try a complimentary pack of the gum these past few weeks and let me tell you, the taste is incredible. And after just a few short hours, not even days, we were already feeling the euphoric difference. The gum's effects are not exaggerated. We could literally feel the stress of the day melting away after allowing the gum a bit of time to work its magic. And thanks to Euphoric, we were able to increase our productivity and enjoy a more relaxing day with fresher breath to boot. Oh, and for those of you concerned about hemp and CBD-related products and perhaps new to products containing these oils, The product does not produce a high and is both discreet and convenient. It can be used anywhere, at any time, to assist you in being your very best. You only need to try Euphoric once to see what all the fuss is about. To prove it, Euphoric is offering a special podcast exclusive to our listeners. All monthly purchases are 15% off and shipping is always free. Just visit ChewThisGum.com to take advantage of this special limited time offer. That website again is ChewThisGum.com for 15% off your monthly purchase plus free shipping. Thanks so much for your time and for giving fork a try this month. You won't be sorry you did. Now that we've assisted you in relaxing with the help of our friends at Euphoric, allow me to issue you a challenge. Let's see how calm you can be in the face of another terrifying tale. In our third and final story tonight, as written by Samantha Miyaki and performed by Justine Anastasia, a young woman recalls how coming of age cost her more than her youth. Without further ado, I present to you, I Grew Up.
1: My father died from pulmonary hypertension when I was only four years old. I still remember the night he had the heart attack. Watching from the third floor window of my great-grandmother's bedroom as he was wheeled on a stretcher across the driveway. Hell... I still remember the barren, twisted trees in the front yard, their shadows creeping like eerie tendrils across the lawn. This has little to do with the story I am about to tell, but it illustrates a point to all those who have questioned my validity in the past. My memories of early childhood have always been very clear, especially during that time of loss in my life. This is not something that I imagined. This is not a memory that is vague to me if I can remember that fateful night, I am sure that I am remembering this perfectly. The real story started in the middle of October, not long before I lost my father. Halloween was my favorite day of the year, and the entire month leading up to it was always a time of excitement. There would be nights where I would lay awake in bed, thrilled by the thought of dressing up as a cat for the third year in a row and what have you. One night in particular, After my mom stuck her head in our room and scolded me for still being up, I forced myself to close my eyes and attempted to drift off. I was almost there, just on the edge of sleep when I heard the door slowly creak ajar. Being a clever kid, I thought it was my mom and kept my eyes closed while feigning cartoon snores that, in reality, she totally would not buy. It was my assumption that my mom would eventually leave, satisfied that I had finally nodded off. But instead, the door creaked even wider, and heavy footfalls began to trot into the bedroom. Eventually, I dared to peek with one eye open to see what was going on. What I saw was not my mom at all, but a monster. He was by no means scary. In fact, he was kind of cute. Covered entirely in thick orange fur, he towered over my bed with a wide grin of pointed teeth. Two gnarled ram horns sat on either side of his head and due to his size, they almost scraped against the ceiling. The monster did not acknowledge my sleeping little brother in the bed across the room. Instead, he held a clawed hand out for me to take. I'm not sure why I thought it was okay, but I accepted his gesture and placed my tiny palm within his and held it tightly. Slowly, he led me across the room and towards a blank space of wall, where my mother had been intending to put some sort of wicker furniture. I watched in curiosity as the orange monster gently scraped a wide door shape against the wallpaper with his claw, and in an instant, a gateway had appeared. Still leading me with the utmost care, he stepped through, and we were engulfed in a bright flash of light that forced me to squint. As it faded, and my eyes adjusted, I found that we were no longer in my bedroom. We were in what I can only assume to be his world, and it was a world that I marveled at. A cobblestone marketplace stretched on before us, filled with stands and carts, manned by every kind of monster you could picture. Witches cackled from a booth full of frothing potions, and they gave me candy corn as we passed them by. Vampires chilled beneath the shade of an awning, selling decorative vials of blood that glowed like obscene stained glass. There were werewolves, skeletons, mummies, and so much more. All of them busy preparing for Halloween, and all of them very friendly. Making our way through the market seemed to take hours, but it eventually led out into a wide park filled with trees and other glimmering gateways at its entrance. My monster guided me there, and after exchanging a warm embrace, he ushered me through the gates and gave a cheerful wave goodbye. And then I woke up in my bed. My brother was still sleeping soundly across the room, and the blank wall was back to being blank. During breakfast, I told my family the wild tale. My mom reacted the way you'd expect the mother of a four-year-old to react to some made-up story. My dad just smiled weakly. It was a dream, and I figured that was the end of it, but it had been such an exciting one. I wished I could have had it all over again. One year later, my wish came true. It was the middle of October again. And though it was still an exciting time, I no longer had trouble sleeping. But once again, one night I awoke to the creak of my bedroom door, and I opened my eyes to see my orange monster shuffling into the bedroom with a sheepish smile. I sprang out of bed to meet him, and yet again, he drew the doorway on the wall with his claw and took me to his world. Everyone was excited to see me, and all of them remembered my name. The witches gave me candy again, and the vampires hissed hellos. It went the same way as the last dream, winding through the busy marketplace until we reached the gates at the park and bid each other farewell. The next year, I had the dream again, and the year after that again. It had started to become my yearly Halloween tradition that only I knew about. It wasn't until I was 11 that the dreams began to change. That year, None of the monsters in the marketplace seemed happy to see me. They gave me and my orange monster stern looks as we passed, whispering hushed voices that I could not understand. There was no candy for me, no greetings or smiles. It was an unnerving trip, and I think that my monster knew this, for he began to pick up his pace and was quick to lead me to the park. When I was 13, the marketplace became a hostile environment, All the kind creatures I had come to know for almost a decade shouted in harsh voices. They pointed with bony fingers, spitting angrily and ordering us to leave. For the first time, my monster actually picked me up and carried me through, not stopping until I was safely at the gateway. I was sixteen, when the dreams finally became nightmares. My monster had come for me, like he always did each year. But something about him was different. His plush orange fur had grown thin and wispy, and his ram horns had various chips and cracks in them. He still held out his hand and took me through that doorway, but that was a grave mistake. We were chased through the market, bitten and clawed and slashed at. My ears were filled with whispers loud enough to drown in, but nobody's mouths were moving and it almost seemed like they were being spoken in tongues. I was too big for my monster to carry, but I let him pull me along to the park. The other creatures followed us all the way to the gateway, not leaving any time for goodbyes. I was shoved through and woke up drenched in sweat in my bedroom. 17. My monster was a shadow of what he once was when he came to collect me. There was no chasing in the stream no sense of imminent danger. There was, however, a massive dread that hung over us as we ambled through the cobblestone marketplace. The creatures stopped still at their booths, black holes in place of their eyes and mouths. They turned and stared as we passed, though they were otherwise motionless. My monster had to stop often to catch his breath before we made it to the park. Before I entered the gates. I enveloped him in my arms and squeezed him tight like I had done as a child. He looked at me with saddened eyes, but grinned with those big teeth and ushered me forward like he always did. When I woke up, I found my eyes were wet with tears. The next year, I wondered if perhaps I would have the dream again. It was very late into October, much later than usual, and I had yet to dream my dream. On Halloween night, After late night partying with friends, I dreamed in a daze that someone was clawing at my walls. I got out of bed and moved cautiously across the floor to see that the light-filled doorway to my monster's world was wide open. My bedroom door on the other hand was shut, and I was completely alone. I went through the gateway by myself, wondering if perhaps he was waiting on the other side. Again, I was met with change when I found the long, cobblestone street was empty void of all structures in life. The only thing that accompanied me were the long smears of dark brown blood, and the scatterings of what I could only assume to be flesh. There was a horrible rotting smell that made me cover my nose with the collar of my pajamas, and forced me to make the familiar walk with trembling legs. For hours I walked, my bare feet slipping in blood and gore, staining my toes and making me shudder. I called out, but was only met with the sounds of the wind whispering through the streets. As the marketplace ended and gave birth to the park, I came to a halt, and my stomach churned violently. There were corpses in my path now, of the witches, the vampires, the werewolves and monsters. They were mangled, horribly disfigured, and discarded in piles carelessly. No longer were they eyeless or cruel-looking but the friendly creatures I'd imagined when I was very young. I was slipping through more blood, more flesh, and was now dodging bodies and bloody bits of candy underfoot. Straight ahead was the gates of the park, and standing before them was a familiar sight. The recognizable shape of my monster was waiting for me, but his back was turned. His fur was also very patchy, I noticed, revealing a muscular grey body that bulged and twitched with veins. The closer I drew, the better I could hear his deep, rasping breaths. He did not turn to face me, but instead seemed hunched over something. My foot connected with a limb, and I tripped, yelping in surprise. The voice that came from my mouth was higher, though, sounding much younger than that of an 18-year-old's. The sudden cry made my monster freeze, and slowly he turned to face me. In his claws, he held the dismantled remains of some sort of corpse. Its stinking brown blood stained his fur. When he saw me, he grinned with a new set of razor-sharp teeth. The smell of decay breezed out of his mouth, and I found myself gawking at the bits of flesh that dangled from in between his fangs. I was a child then, drowning in my adult pajamas and feeling my eyes well up with tears. I stumbled back to put some space between us, and choked back a tiny sob when he reached out for my hand. Why? I pleaded, overtaken with fear as he drew up to a much higher height and loomed over me. Because, he answered. It was the first time I had heard his voice, yet I knew that he did not sound that way. He spoke in a low rumble, wrong and inhuman like something ancient and not of our world. You grew up. Again, he held his hand out with splayed open claws, but I did not take it. I shoved him away and went scurrying over the bodies below, making my way toward the gateway as quickly as I could. I awoke in my room, with my mother standing over me, demanding to know why I was screaming in my sleep and if I needed to go to the hospital. I'm 23 now, and I haven't had the dream since. If I'm being honest, I don't think I ever will. I still think about them from time to time, musing about it to my husband and friends. They always shake their heads at me, laughing, and reminding me that nobody remembers things like that at such young ages. It must have been one dream, all thought up at once and made to feel as though it had been recurring, but I know that's not the case. I remember I still remember
2: I hope you enjoyed I grew up as written by Samantha Miyaki and performed by Justine Anastasia. Thanks again to today's sponsors, best fiends and Euphoric for their support of this show and don't forget. Euphoric is offering a special podcast exclusive to our listeners. All monthly purchases are 15% off, and shipping is always free. Just visit ChewThisGum.com to take advantage of this special limited-time offer. Thanks again for giving our sponsors a try this month. I'm your host, Otis Chary, and it's been a pleasure, as always. So glad you were able to join us tonight. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. (laughs) Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a production of Chilling Entertainment, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn about more of our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Otis Giant. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornell. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. If you're looking for some fresh tales while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, Otis Jiry's Horror Storytime, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon ...to get my latest releases. Or search for my podcast, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, where I perform four brand new tales every episode. Got a scary tale of your own you'd like to perform? We take submissions. Email us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Knights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs-up button to tell us how we're doing, leave a kind word or a request. Don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com